excited uh, anytime we have the opportunity to gather together and praise His great name. And it's our desire that more and more people all around the world would spend their days doing that, praising the great name of Jesus because He's worthy of it. And so uh, what we do when we gather together when I preach is I want to uh, just open up the Bible together that we might study it together and we might in it hear God. Um, God speaks to us in his word. And so so we're going to look this morning again in the book of Romans, the first chapter. Um, Romans uh, is, is a great book. Uh, we kind of did the introduction to it over the last couple of weeks. So over the last couple of weeks, we were in Romans 1, 1 through 17. And just to kind of give you a lay of the land, uh, we basically learned this, that Paul is an apostle sent by God on a gospel mission to reach more and more people, all kinds of people, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what his mission is. And he writes this letter to the Christians in Rome because he really wants them to understand the gospel even more. So he writes this letter that's just drenched in the gospel. He wants to come there and preach the gospel to them. They're just going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get the gospel out to other people, especially those in Spain. So last week we talked about that, and then we ended with verses 16 and 17, but we spent so much time on those first verses that we just really breezed over 16 and 17. So we're kind of starting there again today, because verses 16 and 17 in Romans 1 really are like the theme of the whole book. Okay, so the themes of the book are really introduced in those two verses, verses 16 and 17. So we're going to look at that a little more today. And those themes, if you had to say a one-word theme of the book of Romans, that one word would probably be the word gospel. And gospel just means good news. Romans is about the good news. It's Paul laying out for the Romans the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's motivated in everything he does by the gospel. So we're going to cover that good news today. That The good news is that God uses his power to save everyone who believes, Jews and Gentiles both. Ask that question, well, why is that such good news? That's what we're going to be looking at for the next six weeks. We're actually going to be looking at um, the bad news. Like, oh, great, sign me up. I'll be here the next six weeks. I love to hear bad news. Preach it. Uh, But we do want you to come back, and here's the reason. I'll, I'll explain it a little more later, but I think, Understanding, having a better understanding of the bad news helps us to understand why the good news is so good. And I'm not just setting the agenda. I'm just walking us through Scripture. And what we'll see in the book of Romans, as we go through these first four chapters, we're going to notice that Paul spends a lot of time talking about the bad news. Right? That's how he sets everything up in this letter. And so we want to just do what he's doing. And so this week we're going to be focusing on the unrighteousness of the Gentiles. We'll do that next week too. Then focusing on the unrighteousness of the Jews for three weeks. And then just the unrighteousness of everybody for a week. And then we'll spend a few weeks talking about the saving righteousness of God. So that's where we're heading over the next few weeks. But I asked the question, why spend so much time talking about the bad news? Let me, let me put it this way. So the first time that I ever flew in an airplane, I was 23 years old. And I remember listening pretty closely to the message of the flight attendant as the flight was getting started. You know that that spiel that they give uh, every time a flight gets started, telling you all the stuff that you might 
uh, and hopefully don't need to know uh, about flying and what would happen in an emergency and all that stuff. So I remember the first time I got on a plane when I was 23, I listened to that pretty intently because I'd never heard that speech before. But the more that I heard that, the more times that I've flown since then, you start to pay less and less attention to that, right? Like you're, you're figuring out something else to do because, well, I've, I've heard that before. And so they share, as part of that good news that they share at the beginning, they share the good news that if the plane would happen to go down, the, the seat cushion that you're sitting on doubles as a flotation device. Which, you know, most of the time, like, you hear that, you kind of just, like, shrug it off. Because you're expecting that the pilot is going to safely and comfortably get you to your destination. So why would I need to be concerned about that? However, if, while you're flying over the Atlantic Ocean, the pilot gets on the loudspeaker and lets you know that something's gone wrong, there's no place to land, but the plane must land, he's going to try and make as soft of a landing as possible into the Atlantic Ocean. All of a sudden, that news about you having a cushion that doubles as a flotation device is really, really good news. Like, you're pretty excited about that news. Um, You're very thankful that that news was shared with you. Today, we're going to begin by hearing again the good news from verses 16 and 17. In Romans chapter 1. Maybe it's good news that you've heard many times before. But then we're going to go on to verses 18 to 23. And as we start to look at verses 18 to 23, I think that good news, maybe if it's a speech that you've heard lots of times before, as we start to look at the reality of the bad news that is to come in verses 18 and following, that's going to make that good news sound all of a sudden much, much gooder. Okay? That's the plan. All right, so if you're able to, why don't you stand and we'll, before we read God's word, we'll pray, but go ahead and stand. Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, would you uh, come now by the power of your Holy Spirit and illumine our hearts and our minds that we might, first of all, understand what it is that you're saying in your word Thank you for it. Help us to understand it. Help me to communicate it clearly so that it can be understood. Take away distractions from our minds. Take away the hardness that's in our hearts. Would you give us soft hearts and would give us minds that are ready to hear the truth of your word. Help me to speak it. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray the same for everybody that's sitting here. That the, that the words that we speak going out from here, that the meditations of our hearts, even while we're here, would be pleasing in your sight. Because you are the Lord, you are the rock, you are the Redeemer. Thank you for your word. Speak now through it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here is the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 1, reading verses 16 through 23. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You can be seated. It's the word of the Lord. We're thankful for it. You see in your bulletin uh, both a sermon note page along with a life group discussion guide that is based, uh, our life group discussions are based on uh, the sermon so we can go a little deeper, spend a little more time on application than I can uh, in a short message. And so like I mentioned, we did go over a little bit verses 16 and 17 last week, but we had to go by so quickly and these are so key that I want to be sure that we start there quickly this week as well. Okay, So we're looking at verses 16 and 17 first where we see really good news, that salvation and God's righteousness come to all who believe. That's good news, right? Verses 16 and 17. At the beginning of verse 16, it simply says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul has just told them, I can't wait to get to you and get the gospel to you so that we can delight in the gospel together and get the gospel out to more people. And then he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. He's eager to share it. He feels obligated to share it. He's longing to share it. He's praying for opportunities to share it. And then, why? What's the gospel? Well, it says in verse 16, the next part, for it is the power of God. The gospel, the good news, has something to do with there's a God who's powerful. The good news is the power of God what's God going to use his power to do? For salvation, right? Or the power of God to save. For salvation. And who does that, who does he save? Who does God save? To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Okay? Now the reason that he says that, we didn't spend any time on this last week, I'll just mention it quickly now. That he says, salvation comes to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Remember that Paul is writing this letter to Christians in Rome, some of whom were Jewish in identity and some of whom were Gentile, non-Jewish in identity, or Greek. Gentile, Greek, you can use those uh, interchangeably in many cases, including here. So your translation might say Gentile, might say Greek. It just means those that weren't Jewish, right? So Paul's writing to these people, and there was some confusion. There was some trying to understand what it meant that Jesus came to be the fulfillment of all God's promises to Israel, right? So Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. He is the Messiah of Israel, yet he comes to save all who would believe. And so he's going to spend some time in this letter trying to help them and then us figure that out, how that works together. But he's saying salvation comes to the Jew first, right? The promises were made to the Israelites, to the Jewish people first, and then also the Gentile and the Greek. It goes beyond them. We're going to learn a lot more about that as we go through this book. But then he says in verse 17, 
For in it, that means in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay, so what does that mean? In the gospel, the good news, in the good news about Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed. We start to see the righteousness of God. Now, does that mean that we start to see that God is righteous? Yes. But it means more than that. Does it mean that everything that God does is right and righteous? Yes. But it means more than that. Right? It also means, as we'll see again all throughout the rest of the book, this is him introducing the theme, that righteousness, that a God who is righteous demands righteousness for anyone who wants to be in fellowship with him. Right? A God who is righteous demands that anybody who be in fellowship with him is also righteous. How do you get the righteousness of God? Well, that's what he says next. It's from faith for faith, or from faith to from first to last. There's all sorts of different ways to translate it. And then he quotes from the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. He says, the righteous shall live by faith. We're going to hear a lot more about that as the book goes on. But the righteousness that we need in order to be in fellowship with God is a righteousness that comes to us by faith. It's not like we work, 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 work really hard and attain this level of righteousness whereby God finally can say, oh good, you're good enough now, come and be with me. We can't work hard enough, we can't be good enough. And so a righteousness from God, the righteousness of God, has to be given to us, and it comes to us by faith. We're going to hear a lot more about that in the book. But that's just an introduction of the theme. That's really, really good news. That anybody, Jew, Gentile, that covers everybody, can be saved. And it's not by how well you perform before God. It's all about by what you believe about Jesus. Right? So do you trust Jesus? The righteous are saved, or or those are saved and made righteous by faith. That's really good news. But, you might ask the question, and people would ask the question, why do I need to be saved? Okay, so that sounds like good news, that God can save anybody. But a good question to ask, I mean, I mean again, remember what I said about the, the airplane. Okay, so you're cruising along, and you hear this good news that, that your seat cushion doubles as a flotation device. But you're thinking, you know what? Give me my complimentary Coca-Cola and my miniature pretzels, and I'll be fine because I'm going to get to where I'm going just fine. I, I have faith in that. Right? But the question comes, well, why do I need to be saved? And again, if you hear the news, hey, this plane is going down and we're going down over an ocean, then all of a sudden you start listening up to that. We need to ask the question, and maybe those of you that, have, that, that you've been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, you've, you've maybe we, we talk church language all the time. We assume people know what we're talking about. But we say, well, I got saved when I was 18. Great. You know what a question that probably people are wondering when you say that? What did you get saved from? Like, were, were you drowning? What, what was the deal? What did you get saved from? I got saved when I was 18. What did you get saved from? That's where we get into verses 18 and following. So let's look at verse 18. The bad news has something to do with God's wrath and our inexcusable unrighteousness. So here's how Paul starts verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. 
Paul is not very soft in his approach. He's like, he's got this, like, I'm excited to be with you guys. It's all about the good news. I want to share the good news with you and lots of other people. And then he gets right into it. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against. So the wrath of God is going against, is being aimed at certain people. And it is those who are unrighteous and ungodly. So what do we need to be saved from? Our own mistakes, our own checkered past, our our own purposeless life. Well, not so much. What we mostly need to be saved from is the wrath of God. Paul's not very soft or seeker sensitive in his approach, is he? What we need to be saved from is the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. You ever thought of it as good news that God is not tolerant of sin? That's good news. That we have a God who is not tolerant of sin. He doesn't look at ungodliness and unrighteousness and shrug his shoulders and say, okay. So, so we get different pictures of, of who God is in different spots throughout Scripture. So let me read one to you, Revelation 19. Revelation 19 speaks of when Jesus returns, and it says this, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Or we read in Second Thessalonians 1, we're told of the day in which when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. We read that, and that is sobering. And there's yet even good news in that, because the good news is that God is not okay with evil. God is not neutral toward it. God is just and He will execute justice. It's really good news if you're not evil or unrighteous. It's not good news if you are evil and unrighteous. The wrath of God is real. And it is aimed at those who are ungodly and unrighteous, which we'll learn as we go through the rest of Romans is all of us. So that's the bad news. The bad news is the plane is going down. But there is a way to be saved. But all we've got right here in verse 18 is the wrath of God being revealed. And then at the rest of verse 18 it says this, Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So what is it that unrighteous people do? Well, they suppress the truth. Right? That, that that it's not like they don't know stuff. It's that, that, that it's there, but they suppress it. We use that word very infrequently. Um, maybe if you have a cough. Right? If you have a cough, you're, you, you take something that would be called a cough suppressant. That cough suppressant doesn't heal you, but that cough suppressant takes that cough and hides it away or, or puts it aside for a period of time. Gives you temporary relief from your cough. That's what 
That's what he's saying we're doing here. Unrighteous people, it's not that they can take away the truth. They can't do away with truth. It's there. But they can try to suppress it, to set it aside. Right? Let's look at verses 19 to 20. Because what does it mean to suppress the truth? What does that even look like? Verses 19 and following really share that with us. So look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. The truth is this, that we worship a God who does not want to be hidden. He wants to be known. He's a God who deserves to be worshipped by all that He's created. Right? And so He's not a God who's just like, well, only a few certain sages and really wise people can get to know me. And you have all these funky things that you need to do to get to know me. No. He's a God who desires to be known. And so He has revealed Himself made himself plain. Did you see that language there? How it goes over and over again. It says, what can be known about God is plain to them. What has been shown to them has been clearly perceived. Right? And how do we do it? It's by the things that have been made. We can know something of the existence and character of God by observing what he's made. Have you, have you stopped to do that lately? Just, just stopped and been in awe of what God has made. God has made intricately beautiful things. Like the human eye and a baby's first cry. Right? Like we, 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 we see those things. We, we hear those things. And there's something intricately beautiful about that. And God has made massively beautiful things. Have you stopped to consider that lately? Have you stopped to consider that we live on a sphere that spins around once every day on its axis and once every year orbits around a sun that is the perfect distance from that sun for a life to exist and thrive on this planet that sits in the midst of a massive solar system that sits in the midst of a massive galaxy that sits in the midst of a massive universe. Have you stopped to consider that and be in awe of that lately? God is saying, what I have made is a way for me to clearly reveal and make plain to all people everywhere who can observe that I exist and deserve to be worshipped. And it's not just what we see. It is the beautiful sound of music made possible because of what God has created. It is the scent that escapes from a flower. It is, it is the, the taste of a fresh berry. It is the sensation of warm sand between your toes, which we're all longing for right now. Right? It is the view of the sun setting over the snow or a beach, whatever. 
all these things that we can use, all these senses that God has given us, even if we're disabled in some way and can't use all those senses, there's other senses that we have that allow us to know that God has created all things and it tells us something about His eternal power and His divine nature. And therefore it says, so they are without excuse. Those who in their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What does that look like to suppress the truth about God? We'll look at that here in a moment. Let's look at verses 21 and following. Remember, our problem is not that we can't observe the truth. Our problem is that we suppress the truth. Verse 21 says this. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Really? When you think about it, that's what's at the root of, of sin. That is the core of sin. Is that, that, that we, in our own unrighteousness, fail to honor God and give thanks to Him. That's what sin is. Sin is failing to give honor, to, failing to glorify and worship and give honor to the God who deserves it. And give thanks to Him. So what might that look like? Well, that might look like coming up with some other explanation of how things got here and how things are held together, right? Explaining the origins and ongoing existence of all things with some sort of evolutionary theory that totally cuts God out of the picture. That's a way in which we fail to honor God and give thanks to Him for that which He has created. It could look like honoring something or someone else above God. That instead of honoring God as God, we honor, really, We ascribe great worth to someone or something other than God. That is also failing to honor God and give thanks to Him. It could look like taking all the credit for stuff that you've created. Like, look what I've made for myself. Or maybe you're really artistic and you can make some really great things. You're really good at making food, which hopefully some of you are, so we can eat it here in a little bit. And you you can take all these things and put them together and you can pat yourself on, well, that's my back, pat yourself on the back. Because look at what I've created, not realizing that anything that we create requires us using things that have been created before that. God alone can create something out of nothing. We require raw materials to create something. And so we don't deserve all the praise and credit and thanks. God does. And that is sin when we fail to honor Him as God and give thanks to Him. Verses The rest of verse 21 says this, But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. See, I told you Paul's not very seeker sensitive. He's saying, those of you who would look at all that God has made, and you fail to honor Him as God, and fail to thank Him for being God, You have become a fool. You might sound wise, but you are futile in your thinking. Your heart is darkened, and you think you're wise, but you have become a fool. Sobering stuff. Why such strong language? Why why has he got to say that? We're going to talk about the exchange that he talks about here in a little bit. In verse 23, we see this exchange taking place. Let me tell you a quick story, though, to help illustrate this, maybe. So he's saying, he's saying to them, listen, 
all this stuff that I've created, you, th- that, that's created so that you would worship me. But I give you that, and you're exchanging that. You're exchanging my glory for something menial. Verse tw- let me just read verse 23, then I'll tell you the story. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul looks at people that were, would be willing to do that, and he says, that is foolish. You are a fool. If you take, you have at your fingertips access to the glory of the immortal God, and you exchange that for images resembling mortal man and animals and birds and creeping things. That's ridiculous. That's foolish. Quick story. I was a freshman in college uh, at Northwestern in Orange So one of the activities, there's not a lot to do in a small town, and so they tried to create things for us to do. So we did this dorm-wide game. The game, maybe you've played it before, was called Bigger or Better. And if you haven't played it, maybe like, ah, it sounds good, I want to play that game. Um, And so here's what we did. Everybody, we were in teams of like four people, I think it was, maybe five, and everybody, every team was given a penny. And it was a contest to go out wherever we wanted in town and take to them whatever we had and say, could you give me something bigger or better than this? So we started out, a penny. I've got a penny. Could you give me something bigger or better than a penny? I think the first spot we went to, we got like cornflakes or something. Like, well, that's bigger. It's bigger than a penny. So then we go to the next house, knock on another door. Hey, we've got some cornflakes. You got anything bigger or better than a cornflake? The idea is that you exchange what you have for something bigger or better. Right? We, it was a good trade, a penny for cornflakes. Good trade. We ended up with this big jar of canola oil, okay? And we go to this one guy's house, ring the doorbell, uh, and, and his wife comes to the door, and she's hearing what we're doing. We're playing bigger or better. We've got a jar of canola oil. Can you give us something bigger or better than canola oil? She's standing there thinking. Her husband comes up behind her. He's like, I got an idea. Sweet. And then the garage door over to our side opens up. He walks around back, and, and the garage door opens up. And there's a white Corvette convertible there um, with a red interior. And he said, do you think this will win the game for you? And gives us the keys. Great. He goes, you have to bring it back. But if this will win the game for you, you can take it for a while. Which one of you is oldest? You can drive. And there's a guy named Dan. And so Dan got to drive. And we hopped in the Corvette and drove back to campus. Everybody's like, look what I got, you know, showing their stuff. And here we are showing up in a Corvette. Like, well, we win, right? So, so we win the game. And, and most people would say, even if you're not a fan of Chevrolet, you would probably still say a jar of canola oil for a Corvette is probably a pretty good exchange, right? Now, had that been the other way around, you would have said, that's pretty foolish. Like, we're coming up to somebody's house. Like, we would have just kept playing the game, right? Like, we're driving up to somebody's house with a Corvette. Like, hey, we got a Corvette. Can we have some canola oil? We'll give you the Corvette. Like, that's ridiculous. That's foolish. That's what Paul's trying to get across here. Right? He's saying, what you have is the glory of the immortal God. And you, foolish Roman Gentiles, have exchanged that for images resembling mortal men or birds or animals, or creeping things. That is foolish. 
That is ridiculous. Why would you worship something that is not God, but worship instead something that God has created? That is a foolish exchange. And it's not just, oh, silly you. It is because of that. Because you are suppressing the truth about the glory of the immortal God. God's wrath is coming to you from heaven. Do you get the gravity of what we're reading here at the beginning of the book of Romans? Does that make the good news that everybody can be saved sound a lot better? That because in our foolishness, we spend our lives ascribing worth and honor to things that will fade and die when what we could be spending our lives doing instead is worshiping the immortal God? And because of that, God's wrath is aimed at us. We hear that, and that makes the good news sound so much better. That's where I want to end this morning. I just want to, to make sure that you've heard the good news. Okay? And, and you might be like, okay, this, this is the flight attendant speech. I've flown before. I'm going to just kind of tune them out and put my things in, my ears. Don't put your things in your ears. Uh, what do they call it? Earbuds or whatever. Okay? Don't put them in. Okay? Listen up because I want everybody to hear this. First of all, I want to address those of you who would say, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm trying like, I believe that there's a God. Okay, so I know that. Um, but I have not yet trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let me, let me just share this with you. The book of John, John 3.36, there's one verse. Here's what it says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. It's really hard to lay it out much more simply than that. So in John 3, 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Remember, the wrath of God is aimed at all those who are ungodly and unrighteous, and who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth about God. They do not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. And because of that, the wrath of God is is aimed at you. It remains on you. And anybody who does not believe the Son has the wrath of God remaining on them. And so... So so I want you to hear that. There's bad news at the end of that. There's bad news in what I've shared today. There's bad news in what Paul has shared in Romans 1. But there's good news in Romans 1. It's in verses 16 and 17. There's good good news in John 3, 36. It's at the beginning. Whoever believes, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. My plea to you is if you are sensing... Something, like just sensing something in you saying, I know that I'm not right. That sounds like me. That sounds like me spending my whole life chasing after things that God has made, failing to honor Him as God and give thanks to Him. I'm just doing my own thing. And you're feeling convicted about that. What you're called to do today is to believe on Jesus. 
The gift of God's righteousness comes to you through faith in Jesus. Would you today? And, there, and there's nothing, like, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to walk to the front of a church building. There's no ritual that you have to go through. It's something that you do, that, that, that in your heart you believe that Jesus is Lord and you submit your life to him. That's something, but, but it's something that if you do it, of course, you're going to share it with other people. It's not a secret, right? So if, you, if, you're, if you're feeling like, like God is leading you to that today, would you, would you share that with somebody, right? Confess your sin to him. Admit that you on your own are deserving not of his grace, but only of his wrath, but that you trust in Jesus so that you receive his righteousness. And you receive instead of the wrath of God, the grace of God. Now, one more thing, believers, okay? Those of you who maybe for a short period of time or maybe for a very long period of time, maybe you've heard this speech once and it sounded good to you and you've kind of tuned it out ever since. One thing that I think we're going to get, remember Paul's writing to the church in Rome. Most of the people he's writing to have already trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, but he's just going to keep going back to the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, because we need to hear it over and over again. Listen to what he says later in Romans, in Romans 5. He says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. So that's what's happened. We've been justified or declared righteous by the blood of Jesus. We who are guilty as guilty have been declared righteous. We've been justified by the blood of Jesus. How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? you're a Christian, just remember, here again, that's what's actually happened. I've been saved from the wrath of God. We've sung a song here before, um, and the, the words run through it in my mind all the time. We're not singing it today, but um, in the, it says, but as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. That's what's happened. That's where I was headed. I was on this path under the wrath of God, running a hell-bound race. But God interrupted that. And so, Christian, do you cherish your salvation? Do you speak of it often? You don't ever downplay your testimony, do you? you you're not ever one who says, I have a boring testimony, are you? Because your testimony, if you are in Christ, is that you were once under the wrath of God. But by His grace, you came to an understanding of who Jesus is. And your heart was transformed as you trusted in Him. And you were born again. You don't have a boring testimony. Saved from the wrath of God through faith in Jesus. The bad news is that we are inexcusably foolish, unrighteous, and deserving of God's wrath. But the good news is that all who trust in Jesus can be saved. Let's pray. Father, pray that your work would be done in our hearts this morning that those who are sitting here, that uh, are
are in that position of not yet trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would be stirring by your Holy Spirit something in their mind, something in their heart that helps them to recognize that they ought not to shrug their shoulders at the good news, the only good news that can save them. That might not happen right here in this place this morning. That might happen tonight as they wrestle with it and they can't fall asleep. You remind them again of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and who they are on their own. God, I pray that you would bring salvation to somebody and that that if, if that is what happens, that they would be willing to share it. Maybe even somebody who thinks that for a long time because they've been attending a church that they're probably okay. Then, God, for all of us who trust Jesus as Savior, who worship Him as Lord, help us to delight more and more in Him and the work that He's accomplished for us. Thank You for the good news of the Gospel. Thank You for the way that You've communicated it, first of all, to the Romans through the Apostle Paul, and that it's been preserved for us that we might know You respond to the truth. We don't any longer want to suppress the truth. We want the truth to be real in our lives and to be made known to many others. Help us with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, if the worship team could come up and we'll close our time together by singing a song. We're going to sing a song um, from, from the book of Revelation, just taking a bunch of phrases from the book of Revelation. That's where everything's headed towards. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. God's plan, His intention for making everything He made is that all things would worship and glorify Him. And that's something that we long for, something that we look forward to, something that we sing about even now. And so if you're able to, would you stand and we'll sing a closing song together.